Let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time uh, to meet together, to worship you, to encounter your presence, and to be filled with your spirit and with joy and to see your glory, Lord. We pray that uh, you would help us to understand um, your heart towards your church and your purposes for your church, Lord. We pray that uh, you would just open our minds and our hearts to know you better through this. So we pray that you bless the sermon and we thank you for your grace and amen. So today we are continuing our series called the GCF Vision. Uh, the vision or the GCF vision is a, tor it's a term we tend to use a lot, but we haven't had a thorough teaching on it since Greg was last teaching uh, at RCF at Wright State. So this series is an attempt to concisely let thoroughly explain what the GCF vision is. So in this series, we're focusing on five kind of core components of our vision. Number one, having a biblically complete understanding of, experience of, and presentation of the gospel. Number two, being grace-based instead of performance-based. Number three, being reformed and charismatic. Number four, understanding the role, relevance, and responsibilities of the church. And number five, having a victorious eschatology. Um, again, it's not that there's not churches out there that do these things, but most churches don't do well in all five of these all at once. Um, but we believe that these are things that God wants Christians to rediscover and restore, and we believe all of these fit together biblically. So today we are talking about the role and relevance of the church. In modern American Christianity, the church is kind of, in some sense, misunderstood and typically thought pretty lowly of pretty lowly compared to what the Bible thinks of the church. Um, but we're going to take a look at that. So we've been on this subsection, part four of this series, for a few weeks now. Uh, we looked at how the Bible describes the church, and then last week we looked, or two weeks ago, we looked at why Christians need the church, and that need is practical, and that need is real. Um, so today we're going to look at the role and relevance of the church. Let's start with what is the role of the church? So we've kind of been getting at that over the past few weeks when we looked at how the Bible describes the church, because that's really the only way we can get a sense of what the role of the church is, is how the Bible describes the church. So this is almost a summary of what we looked at over the past few weeks. So the role of the church, in summary, is to be God's special people group who intimately love and worship him, who love, support, fellowship with, and build up each other, and who love the lost and take the gospel to the nations. So you may have noticed that there are three types of ministry in that summary statement. There's ministry to God, ministry to other Christians or to each other, and ministry to the lost. And since a role is kind of a summary statement of what a thing is supposed to do or to accomplish, that's kind of how I would summarize the role of the church. The role of the church is to minister to God by loving and worshiping him and having an intimate relationship with him, not just as individuals, but also as a group, um, to love and support and build up and fellowship with each other, and to minister to the lost by taking the gospel to the lost. And that is the role of the church. 
So the church as a whole has these three areas of ministry, and every single believer has these three areas of ministry. Every single believer is part of the church, and every single believer has ministry to God. Every single believer should worship and pray and know God intimately. Every single believer should be involved in a church serving others. Now, that's clearly mandated in the scripture. It applies to everyone. And every single believer should have a ministry to the lost through evangelism and prayer. So that is kind of our brief overview of the role of the church, which we've somewhat been getting at over the past few weeks. So this is kind of what I wanted to spend today's time on anyways. Let's talk about the relevance of the church, the importance of the church. Why is the church important? Is the church important? A lot of people seem to think the church might not be very important. Um, is the church important? That's a good question. The Bible would say it is. And I think there's three major reasons why the church is very relevant in every season of life, throughout history, any time period in which the church exists, the church is relevant and important. And there's three big reasons that make it very important. And those three reasons correspond to the three areas of ministry we just talked about. But the first reason I would say the church is relevant, the church is important, is because God's formation of a people for himself is his main goal throughout all human history. From the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, God's forming a people for himself has been his main goal through human history. And we're going to briefly take a look at that. So let's start in Genesis 1. Uh, Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them, that is Adam and Eve, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So back in Genesis 1.1, God wanted a people. He wanted more than two people. He wanted Adam and Eve to multiply. He wanted them to fill the earth. He wanted a people for himself, and that's in Genesis 1. And we're going to continue to see it. Let's jump ahead to Genesis 9. So even after um, the earth got filled, but because humans are sinful after the fall, and it got filled with people, it also got filled with violence. And then God sent the flood. Uh, But when it was just Noah and his family after that, God still wants a people for himself. Genesis 9.1 says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So God still wants a people for himself. Then let's jump ahead to Genesis 12. When God calls Abraham. It's very clear when God calls Abraham that God wants a people for himself. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So just consistently throughout Genesis, God wants a people for himself. That's why he created the human race. That's why he formed the nation of Israel. And we're going to see that this continues over to the church. God's goal in having a church is he wants a people for himself. But let's, let's look at Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. 
God speaking to Israel, who is developed as a people, and this is God's people for himself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And now in the new covenant, the church is God's group of people because the church is the continuation of Israel. And this applies to the church because throughout all human history, from the beginning of human history till Christ's second coming, God's goal is to form a people for himself. That's the main thing he's doing. Let's look at 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you, you the church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So again, from Genesis to Revelation, God's main goal in human history is to form a people for himself. So if that's God's main goal throughout human history, it must be pretty important to God. And if it's that important to God, it's that important. But let's talk about uh, why God would want to form a people for himself, why he cares, why that's a goal of his, why that's important to him. So I'm going to give uh, two reasons. I'm not saying these are the only two, but these are two notable reasons of why it's important to God that he form a people for himself. And the first reason is to show his glory. In general, God wants creation to show his glory. Let's look at Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. So God made, God created anything he created for his glory, and he made humans in his image so that we could reflect his beauty or that we could show his glory by being like him, by being miniature, uh, you know, little Christs, so to speak. That's what Christian means. But let's also look at Isaiah 43, verses 6 and 7. God created creation for his glory. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So in general, God created creation to show his glory. But there's a specific reason he wants a people for himself. So we have the ability as humans to show God's glory, to image forth God's glory better as a community than we do as individuals. There's a few reasons for that. The first reason is that God is relational. And the beauty of God's nature is shown in Christ-like human relationships, especially in community because the Trinity is more than just a relationship between two individuals. The Trinity is a community. There's more than two individuals. So you have multiple relationships. 
but we image forth God's nature better in community. Um, so many major aspects of God's nature are relational aspects. So if we were to try to image forth God's nature alone, that would be a pretty poor image. That wouldn't really work. So in order to really reflect God's nature, there needs to be community. And we can image forth his nature better as a community than we can alone. So that's one reason uh, God wants a people for himself to glorify him. But another way in which there being a people and not just a group of separate individuals who aren't so much a group uh, as an array, but um, the beauty of God's creativity is displayed through human diversity. God has made billions and billions of humans, and he made each and every one unique. That's quite significant. And, uh, and God makes each one so that each one can image forth his glory in a special way through their uniqueness. So those are two ways in which God forming a people for himself brings him glory. And that's why he wants it to be a people, not just a set of disjointed individuals. God wants a people, not a set of disjointed individuals. The second reason God wants to form a people for himself is that we would have intimacy with him, that we would know him and have a close relationship with him. Let's look at John 17, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus doesn't want his people to know him from afar. Jesus wants us to know him and know him up close and personal. He wants us to be with him. He wants us to fellowship with him. And that's one of the reasons God wants a people for himself. One of the most common uh, word pictures of the church in the scripture is that we are the bride of Christ. Marriage conveys intimacy. If there's anything you think about when you think of marriage, it should be intimacy. But also, it's worth considering, the Bible doesn't say that we are brides of Christ. The Bible says we are the bride of Christ. And this shows that God wants to have fellowship and intimacy with us, not just as individuals, but as a group. He also wants to have intimacy with us as individuals, but he wants to have intimacy with us as a group. And there's synergy to that. There's, there's a special type of relational joy that can come from relationship in community in a group that you don't just get from having a bunch of individual disjointed relationships. You know, typically, if you have a friend group, there's a special type of joy that comes from hanging out as the friend group, where you've got like the five or the six or the how many of you together all doing the same thing. And it just wouldn't be the same if for each of those friends that you have, you only ever hunt out with them one-on-one -on -one and never as a group. There is synergy to the joy, to the relational joy um, with a group. And God 
His main goal throughout human history has been forming a people for himself, and two main reasons for that are to show his glory, because his glory is shown better through a group than through a set of disjointed individuals, and to have intimacy with us. And he wants to have intimacy with us as a group and not as a set of disjointed individuals. So hopefully that makes sense. God's forming a people for himself is very important to God. And that it be a people and not a set of disjointed individuals is important to him. So that's one reason why we should realize, we should think, we should feel, we should believe that the church is very important. It's important to God, so it's important. And it's very important to God. But the second reason the church is important, why it's relevant, or very relevant, is the church is God's chosen instrument, his main instrument for reaching the lost. You know, we looked, about, we looked at this a few weeks ago, but, uh, you know, God could reach the lost, God could share the gospel of the world a dozen, you know, millions of different ways. He has endless creativity. But he wants to use the church. Let's look at Matthew 18 verses, uh, I mean Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." So God could have given the Great Commission to angels or to rocks or created new beings out of thin air, but God gave the Great Commission to the church. Let's also look at 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 and 20. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So the church is God's chosen instrument for reaching the lost. But why is that important to him? Why does he care that it be through the church and not through other means? There could be many reasons, but there's two that stick out. Uh, Again, the first one is to show his glory. So there's a few ways in which God is glorified through using the church to reach the lost. The first is that his glory is shown through human weakness. He is glorified by using weak humans and doing incredible things. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, verses 5 and 7. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, for God said, let let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of the of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This is a theme throughout the Bible that God likes to use humans to show his glory. That's why uh, 
he used Gideon and an army of only 300 to defeat an army of much greater than 300. God likes to use humans to show his glory through human weakness. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 that, his, that God's power is made perfect through human weakness. But he doesn't mean it's made more powerful. It's already as powerful as could be. You can't get more than infinite. He means it's better shown through human weakness. But I think there's other ways in which God is glorified through using the church. The first one is because of human weakness. But there's a second way in which he's glorified through using the church, especially because the church is a group, or it's supposed to be a group, and not a set of disjointed individuals. And God is glorified through his coordinating and synergizing our efforts to work together. Let's look at John 4, verses 36 uh, through 38. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you that you may reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So here we say we see God coordinating the efforts of parts of his body. Let's also look at 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5 and 6. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So the church is a body, and in the body, all the, pe- all the parts do their thing, but the head is the one coordinating all of it. The head makes it all work together. And Christ makes our efforts work together. And this, in some sense, glorifies him in its own way. Just like the conductor of an orchestra has honor as the conductor for conducting the orchestra. God creates everyone's unique talents and personalities in the church and then causes them to work together like a masterful painter causes hundreds of shades of colors to work together to form a beautiful art piece. And that art piece shows God's glory. So God is glorified through using the church to reach the lost because of human weakness and also because of his conducting all of our efforts to work together. But there's a second reason why the church is God's primary instrument for reaching the lost, and that's so that we grow closer to him, because God wants to have intimacy with us. Let's look at John 15, verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. And really, Jesus takes it even further than that. It's not that It's not only that what he's heard from the Father and what he does with the Father he's told to us, what he's heard from the Father and what he does with the Father he's drawn us into. Jesus and the Father have been working together to form a people for themselves, for their glory, and they've drawn us into that. And that is an aspect of intimacy. You know, we mentioned a few weeks ago Husband, so wives and husbands don't always have the same interests, and sometimes you have to work 
uh, or put effort in to take interest in what your spouse is interested in. But husbands like it when their wives take interest in their interests. And Jesus wants us to take interest in his major interest of reconciling the world to himself. It's quite important to him. And since he wants us to be close to him, he wants us to be relationally close to him, he enjoys when we take interest in that. It really does bring us closer to him. If a person um, goes from not really, if a Christian, when they start their Christian life, doesn't really care much about the lost coming to Christ, but then they start to care a lot about it, that in and of themselves makes their relationship closer to God. Or their relationship to God closer. So the church is God's main instrument in reaching the lost, and that makes the church very important. The church doesn't have some mediocre importance. If you're a believer, the church should be of extreme significance in your life and in your heart. I also want to point out that that we as Christians can reach the lost better through a local church or through church community than we can on our own. The church is not a set of disjointed individuals. The church is a group. Let's look at John 13, verse 35. By all this, or by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. He didn't say all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for them. He said, people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So we show God's glory to the world better in community than by just each person evangelizing on their own. I'm probably going to say this a dozen times by the end of this sermon, but the church is not a set of disjointed individuals. God hasn't been trying to form a set of disjointed individuals. God's been forming a group, a people, a community. And just like uh, Catherine pointed out when speaking about Billy Graham and his evangelistic efforts, it wouldn't have gone the same. He realized he had to work with local churches. And that if people, if he just evangelized to people apart from the context of working with local churches, when his group left town, these people would just be off on their own, left to their own devices. But they need community. And he needed to work with local churches, and he realized that. Evangelism works better in community than it does outside of community. So those are two really big reasons why the church is very important. That... um that God's main goal throughout human history is forming a people for himself and that the church is God's chosen or main instrument for reaching the lost. But there's a third reason that makes the church quite important. And that's that the church is an essential means of grace for any and every Christian. This is what we focused on two weeks ago, but it really is essential. No Christian can have as close of a relationship with God as they should, or be as healthy as they should, or grow like God would have them to, or be as effective as God would have them to, apart from being connected to a local church. It can't happen. So the church is a means of grace. Let's look at First Peter 4, verse 10. 
As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. So each person gets a gift, and that's a a form of God's grace. So when we use our gifts to serve one another, which all churches should have Christians that are doing that, through each other and through um, being served by each other and serving one another, we can access God's grace through each other. When we are using spiritual gifts to serve one another, we are other people can access God's grace through that because we are ministering out of God's varied grace. And the church is essential. No believer should be going without it. Let's look at Hebrews 10, verse 25. Do not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Again, this is a command. Believers are commanded to not forsake meeting together. I think God thinks that the church is essential in the life of a believer. And, you know, it's just, it's essential on practical levels. Last week or two weeks ago, we looked at uh, nine different benefits that you can get that help you in your Christian walk in a community that you can't get outside of community. You know, being part of a church provides us with fellowship. It provides us with accountability. It provides us with encouragement. It allows us to meet God in a deeper way. Jesus said, where two or three or more are gathered in my name, there I am among them. You can encounter God's presence in a more tangible way or in a deeper way that's real and tangible in community than outside of community. Not only that, but God ministers to us through the gifts of the Spirit through his church. God doesn't give any individual all the gifts of the Spirit. He disperses them. So if you want the benefit of all the gifts of the Spirit, you need to be involved in a local church. And believe me, you should want the benefit of all the gifts of the Spirit. It also provides instruction and correction and equipping. It also allows us to be prayed for. We can get practical needs met in the church. And for church is a place where we can serve others. And we all need that. The church is essential in the life of any and every believer. And I've heard before, someone may give the excuse, well, John, who wrote Revelation, when he was exiled, maybe, you know, that's an argument that people don't need the church. Well, I would say in response to that, God also caused people or calls people to fast, and sometimes his ministers were left without food. So if you're going to take that logic, food's not essential. The church is an essential thing for any and every Christian. Your Christian walk cannot be as good without it as it could be with it. So that's another reason the church is pretty important. So let's quickly talk about why God would design the church to be an essential means of grace in the life of each Christian. Because God designed it that way. That's not a coincidence. God wants the church to be a means of grace for each Christian. 
He designed it that way on purpose. Part of the reason is because God designed us to be interdependent. He wants us to be interdependent. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, verses 21 through 26. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of our body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, or designed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So it's, it's clear in this passage, God purposefully designed Christians to be interdependent. God designed Christians to need other Christians. And he designed it so that it's not just that you need others, but others don't need you. You need others, and others need you. It's interdependence. And this helps us to stay humble, and this helps us to be more unified. And God designed it that way. Another reason that God designed it that believers should need the church is because as we've seen in the last thing we talked about, the church being God's chosen instrument for reaching the lost, God likes to use his church. And because he likes to use the church, uh, he doesn't just use it for reaching the lost, he uses the church to edify the church. Because God likes to use the church, because it brings him glory, and because it brings us closer to him. And both of those are very important to him. So God likes to use the church in the life of the church. God designed us to be interdependent. God designed us to need the church. He wanted it that way. The church is essential for every believer. So those are three reasons why the church is very relevant. It's very important. God's main goal throughout human history is to form a people for himself. God's chosen instrument for reaching the lost is the church. And the church is an essential means of grace in the life of any and every believer. So we've got uh, five minutes left. So why does it matter that we see the church as important? Um, Because I I really want us to get this. The church is important, and it's important that we know that it's important. Whether or not Christians see the church as important usually determines whether whether or not they participate in it as God would have them to, or as God would have us to. If you don't think of the church as important, you won't be inclined to participate in it. And if you think of the church as very important, you will all be inclined to participate in all the things that we should be participating in. Christians should seek to worship through the church and not just as lone rangers. We should have times of private worship and private prayer, but God wants us to have community worship or worship as a group because where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is among us. Christians should seek to worship in a local church and not just as individuals. Christians should seek to serve the lost through a local church and not just as lone rangers. 
you know, Jesus made it pretty clear People will know we are his disciples if we have love for one another. We will get more done. We, will, we can only accomplish God's purpose because God wants the world to see that we are his disciples. He wants the world to see that we do have love for one another. And we can only do that if we're with one another. Christians should seek to serve the lost through a local church and not just as lone rangers. Christians should seek to edify and support other believers. And you can do that in a church. That's what God wants us to do. There's a reason he commanded us to not forsake uh, the assembling of ourselves. And we also need to actively receive support and edification through the church. But sadly, in modern America, a number of Christians don't think the church is very important, and that's a problem. In modern America, a lot of Christians have a consumer attitude when it comes to the church. They don't really see it as a body to be involved in. They see it as an optional entertainment system that may or may not benefit them. A lot of Christians in modern America have a consumeristic see-you-on-Sunday attitude, but that's not biblical. Uh, A few sermons from now in this series will talk about how much of an importance the Bible places on church community, which we haven't gotten to yet in this series. But God designed the church to be a community, not just a place where you sit together but don't fellowship to hear a sermon and not talk about it and then leave and not talk to people. So we want people to understand how important the church is and what God wants to do through the church. And that's a very important part of what we feel is important at GCF. So in conclusion, the church is very important, and it's important that we understand, that we grasp uh, not just in our minds, but in our hearts, how important the church is. Because it's, it's greatly underestimated today. The importance of it is underestimated, and what God wants to do through the church is greatly underestimated. So it's important that we understand the importance of it, and it's important that we all be participating Every Christian should have a local church that they can be a part of and that they are involved in and that they have community with and that they play a role in. We should all have times of private worship and private prayer and we should all regularly have times of corporate worship and corporate prayer because you can meet God in a different way in corporate worship and corporate prayer. We should all be seeking to build close relationships so we can edify other Christians and be edified by other Christians in a local church. And those need to be close relationships that we can share what's in our hearts with people with. If you don't have another Christian who you can share what's going on in your life with, you are missing what God has for you. If you don't have another Christian who you can really tell what's going on in your life, you're missing a big part of what God has for you. And we should be seeking to make progress in the Great Commission, but we should, all, we should be working on that together. It goes better when you work on it with other believers. 
than by yourself. So let's close in prayer and then we'll have our communion meditation. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the blessing that the church is, Lord. We thank you uh, that you have given us the gift and blessing of the church where we can receive edification and where we can have joy as a relational community. We can have an increased joy as a relational community and we can have greater joy in our relationship with you as we relate to you as a community. We pray that you would help us to really feel how important the church is and to really uh, see how you would have us to be involved participants in it. Uh, We pray that you would Bless us to receive uh, more of your grace for your church. And amen. So today's communion meditation is called God Counts Faith as Righteousness. Let's look at Romans 4, verses 1 through 5, and then 23 through 25. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of the Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, not because of anything they do, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit, it was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. God knows, and hopefully we'll know it too, that none of us can be righteous by doing good things. So he made a way by dying for our sake so that he could give righteousness to us. No one is counted as righteous because of good things. The only way to be counted righteous with God is by faith. And God freely gives righteousness to those who have a a real trust in him. So let's praise him as we come to the table.